Good morning. We're in Joshua chapter six. If you'd open your Bibles there, please. We're going to finish the chapter. We'll take a look at verses 20 through 27. Joshua chapter six, verses 20 through 27 is our text. The topic, Rahab's faith saves her and she is rescued as the walls of Jericho fall. The title of our message, it ain't over till the faith lady leaves. These are really high caliber titles, I'm telling you. Titles are us. Joshua 6.20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. The people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men, those who had been spies, went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold, the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city of Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all that country. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we have come for encouragement. We've come for refreshment. But I pray, Lord, more than anything else, we would realize even now that we've come just to be with you. You promise that you will be where we gather in a way that is different and special and wonderful. Ministering from heart to heart, moving among your people. And so, Lord, manifest yourself as your word is taught. May your Holy Spirit indeed be our teacher. Even as we've read the text and begin to talk about it, Lord, may he be showing us insight, sharing with us things that draw us ever closer to you. Your love never wavers. It never changes. It's always everlasting. We have a tendency, Lord, to leave that first love many times. Bring us back to that place today, Lord. May your grace and mercy be evident as we see how you dealt with Joshua and the Israelites and even the people of Canaan, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, amen. Think of all the people in the Bible who started strong but did not finish strong. In the Old Testament, you could name Samson, Gideon, Saul, Absalom, and Jonah. In the New Testament, you could name Judas and Demas. Now, Demas is not too well known. He's mentioned only briefly. He's first described as a fellow laborer of the Apostle Paul in the book of Philemon. But he's last described as having forsaken Paul because we're told he loved this present world. You find that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Can you also think of people in your own Christian experience who started strong but did not finish strong? 
Finishing strong needs to be a major goal in your walk with the Lord. In the same passage in which Paul described Demas's crash and burn, he wrote of himself, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Of the many lessons we might glean from the fall of the walls of Jericho, not the least among them is how to finish strong. It may have been a period of only seven days, but it was a week in which the Israelites had to walk strong every day for six days and then finish even stronger. On the seventh day, they marched seven times around the city. They shouted, and only then did the big finish come. Let's see what lessons we can learn from them. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, you will finish strong if you are not moved to compromise. And number two, you will finish strong if you are moved with compassion. First of all, you will finish strong if you are not moved to compromise. Since we're in mid-story, it might be helpful to just quickly summarize God's plan for destroying Jericho. It was in the first part of the chapter. A representative group of armed men were to march around Jericho once a day for six days, followed by seven priests, each of them blowing a trumpet. The priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant would come next, and a rear guard would complete the procession. The only noise permitted was the sound of the trumpets. On the seventh day, the procession would march around the city seven times. The priest would give a long blast on the trumpets, and then the marchers would all shout. God would then cause the walls to fall down flat so that the city could easily be taken. Their week of marching as ordered is going to be a good example of finishing strong. And so let's discover some of the ways they did it, beginning again in verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Now, there's a lot we could mention from just this one opening verse. First, in order to finish strong, you need to be in submission. Second, in order to finish strong, you need to be faithful in little things. Third, in order to finish strong, you need to stay focused on your mission. And fourth, in order to finish strong, you need to be ready and willing to move forward when the command comes. But over all of these points is a simple and profound understanding that you must simply do what you are told in the word of God. These people were obedient to the most minute, monotonous detail. They did as God instructed, no questions asked and no complaining. After a prescribed period of time and training, they experienced spiritual victory. Basic Christianity 101, obey the Lord, but it's important that we are exhorted because obedience isn't automatic. It's something that we have a great deal of difficulty with. Those of you who have children or who have raised children, what is it about children that they don't understand? It would be so much easier for your kids if they would just obey you the first time. For one thing, you wouldn't have to count to three five million times in your lifetime. Children, they just, because they're expressing that sin nature, they just, you know, they, they might even want to obey, but they just don't do it. We get to be adults and we express that same feeling towards our father in heaven many times in areas where obedience is, you know, should be simple, really. The commands are not difficult. The obedience is difficult. When you tell your child, pick up your toy 
put it in the toy box. Pretty simple, right? When God tells you something in his word with the enabling of the uh, Holy Spirit, very simple. Husband, love your wife the way Christ loved the church. Wife, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Employee, be submissive to your employer and on and on through these very simple directives. We have such a hard time obeying those things. We invent extenuating circumstances to our obedience. I see this all the time in marriage counseling. Yes, I know what the Bible says, but in my situation, it's a completely different story. You don't know my fill in the blank wife, husband, doesn't matter. It depends on who's talking. And, and you know, and, and so it's, it's, it, obedience is not automatic. God's commands are clear enough, but I don't always want to hear or heed them. And so I, want to finish strong, I can't compromise in those areas because of my personal feelings or my hurt feelings or any of those things. I need to continue to obey the Lord. Verse 21, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Now, I have to pause for a moment to theologically defend what seems a merciless attitude on the part of God. Why kill them all? including children and animals? Well, there are a couple of prerequisite answers. One is that the people in the land of Canaan were unspeakably wicked. They deserved judgment. If anything, God had been long-suffering towards them. They had had about 440 years of warnings that God's people were coming and judgment was following them and that God would destroy them. And that's a long time to be warned about something. That's like counting to, you know, counting to three uh, a lot of times over a period of 440 years. For another thing, they could have repented at any time. Rahab is an example of God showing his mercy even as he decrees judgment. If you think, well, wait a minute, no, Rahab was a special case. God does this in the city of Nineveh as well. I'm going to kill all of you. Jonah gives some lame message. He doesn't really want to give the message. He says, you're going to be destroyed. They repent anyway, and God spares the entire city. At the end of it, he says, you know, he especially did it for the little ones, the children that were there. And so we know that they could have repented. But we still haven't addressed this issue, why the children? Well, that's not on God, really, if you think about it. It's on their parents. The parents are the ones teaching those kids to worship idols and to perform all manner of abominable acts of immorality. The parents were the ones who refused to repent and therefore put their kids in jeopardy. The parents were the ones selfishly holding on to their immorality and idolatry at the risk of losing their children. God came to them and said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your wife. I'm going to kill your children and all of your animals for your wickedness. And implicit in the judgment is if you don't repent. And those individuals said, we will not repent. We will put all that we have in jeopardy of perishing eternally rather than repent. And so I submit to you, whose fault is that? It's the parents' fault. And in many cases today, parents are at fault. 
they put their children in harm's way, spiritually speaking, if not physically speaking. I half-jokingly, but many times when I'm working as a chaplain in Lemoore and something goes down afterwards in a debriefing when everybody's talking about it, I'll, they'll say, well, what's all that about? And I'll say, hey, essentially it's a parenting issue. <laughs> and I get that response usually, but no. But a lot of times, you know, there, there's some things, you know, bad parenting went into this. I love people. I mean, just to be a little bit more facetious, this didn't happen in Lemoore, but I, I love, you know, do you ever watch these grisly crimes shows about, you know, real life crime and stuff? I don't either. Uh, so anyway, let's move on. No, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, the parents, oh, he was such a good boy. While he was eating animal hearts and, you know, killing small dogs next door. You know, what happened? You know, there's no neighborhood dogs around here anymore. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's crazy, the things. But anyway, back to our point. It's not on God. I understand the argument. Why does God decree that children and animals need to be slain? God warned their parents. God is warning people today in our world. A judgment is coming, a terrible judgment, a tribulation that lasts seven years. And after that, a terrible eternal judgment. And people are going their merry way thinking, well, so what? I don't believe it. I don't care. I have a life to live and I'm going to bring my children along with me. And so it's not on God. I I don't know if you can tell or not, but I'm tired of people blaming God. It's the ultimate blame shifting. It started in the Garden of Eden when, you know, Adam said, you gave me the woman. And the woman said, you sent the serpent. (laughs) You know, it was like everything's been God's fault from the beginning. But it's not. It's our fault. And so what do we learn about finishing strong from verse 21? Show no mercy to a mortal enemy. In your case, your mortal enemy is your flesh. After you're saved, your new nature resides in your old body. It has tendencies towards indulgence and sin. As you know, it is in constant struggle against the Spirit of God. You're told in Scripture to put your flesh to death. A couple of examples, Romans 8, 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Colossians 3, verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. You cannot compromise with these things. You died to sin with Jesus on the cross. Remain dead. Don't just play dead. Don't resuscitate sin in your life. Don't toy with it. Sometimes this happens when Christians, they get to be older in the Lord. They feel like they're more mature. In some ways, they probably are. We probably are. But then we think we can bring back into our lives things that God delivered us from. We begin to toy with them, keeping them kind of controlled. But I'll tell you what, your flesh cannot be contained or controlled. You cannot compromise with those things or you will be destroyed. And so show no mercy to the flesh. Verse 24, but they burned that city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. There's a lot of good spoil there. Why take this approach? Well, you remember I mentioned Demas, the fellow laborer of Paul's who defected, and I said that it was because of his love for the present world. The flesh is not your only enemy, so is the world, or more accurately, your love for it. Some things in the world 
need to be burned. That means you just can't coexist with them at all. They are always going to be sin to you. Everything else in the world should be dedicated to the Lord for his use. For example, if you've been here any length of time, you know my attitude towards alcohol. I hate it. I don't see anything good that ever comes out of it. I cannot drink. It's, it's, I had to burn that in my life. There's never a thought that I have that, hey, maybe I'll you know, pick up that habit again. Maybe I could control myself and, and just have one beer or you know, that kind of a thing. I just can't do it. It's sin to me. I'm not saying it's sin for you. I'm suggesting that it's not good for you, but that's between you and the Lord. Some things in your life, it may not be that, it might be something else, it needs to be burned. You just can't do it. If it's not of faith, then it's sin. Burn it down. Get out of it. Other things, every other thing, needs to be dedicated to the Lord. And when you dedicate it to the Lord, then he can take it and you can enjoy it more and you can use it for his glory and the furthering of his kingdom. And so that's the lesson there. Drop down to verse 26. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. This curse finds a sad fulfillment in the days of evil King Ahab. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 16. As far as finishing strong, the lesson here is this. Always maintain a biblical world view. Jericho represents the world. God has overcome the world. Men try to rebuild in, uh, in the world in the sense that they think that they can thwart God's plan for the future. But God's word will come to pass, just as he said. The Lord will return and finally destroy this world system and set up his kingdom on the earth. For us, we want to keep a kingdom worldview. We want to make decisions that are consistent with the knowledge that Jesus' return is imminent. And that will help us not to get sidetracked by non-eternal issues and arguments. When I was a young Christian, we, we were fond of, of saying, you know, somebody would bring something up and we would say, well, you know, that's all going to burn. And, and it was just, it was one of those catchphrases, uh, you know, hey, it's all going to burn. And that is kind of a it's, a, it's a summary in a way of a good worldview to have to say, you look around, you think, okay, all of this is going to burn. What is really important? And as we'll see as we end our study this morning, what is really important is that people get saved before all of that burns. Not that I get sidetracked and, and barely singed or something like that. You know, I, and so I want to have a biblical mindset, a biblical worldview. I want to teach my children to think about things the way the Lord thinks. Not just to think about them from a Bible standpoint, but to, to look at every issue and every circumstance and say, what should a Christian's response be to that? Let me go way out on a limb here and um, risk, you know, some of you misunderstanding me. I hope you won't, but the church today, the church of Jesus Christ, a lot of political talk, a lot of political talk, who to vote for, who not to vote for, and all of this. And, you know, there's a lot and there's a lot of pressure for churches to to be talking more about politics and marshalling Christians. Uh, in a, if I have time this morning, I'll tell you about a, a program that's that's happening in the church where they they come in and they take over your church for five minutes to try and get you into a particular political agenda. It's very popular right now. Why don't we do that here? I know you're wondering. I'll tell you why. Here's why. 
Because if you read the Bible, if you study the Bible, if you're taught the Bible, you already know what you're supposed to do. Nobody has to force you to do it. Nobody has to tell you who to vote for or how to register or to register. You you already know all those things because you're encouraged to be a good citizen and to think biblically and to use your biblically trained conscience to decide what issues to vote for and against and what candidates to vote for and against. And to me, it's an insult to manipulate people into doing what I want them to do, to tell you what to do. You know what to do. And so we don't need all of that kind of thing. You have to have a biblical mindset and a biblical worldview. Will we always agree on everything? No. But we will agree on the major things because we understand how they fit into God's scheme of things. Verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. The final lesson in finishing strong is to let the Lord promote you. I found over the years that many problems are caused because I think more highly of myself than I ought to. Or as the world would say, I believe my own press. Make your own press release and then think, hey, that sounds pretty good. I'm a pretty cool guy. You should try and write your own, you know, introduction. If you were going to go somewhere and speak, what would you say about yourself? When I was a sales manager down in Southern California and I would have to interview people for different positions, I love reading resumes because you have to learn to read between the lines. There are whole periods of time that are missing from people's resumes. Months, weeks, years sometimes. And so you're going through and say, oh, wow, this looks good. Yeah, that's good. Nobody puts, you know, what they really did on their resume. I used to work here and they fired me because I was a deadbeat. Can we call your last boss? No, absolutely not. You know, those kind. And so, you know, I'd say, you know, things like what happened? You know, where were you between the years of 1991 and 94? Well, I lived in Corcoran. (laughs) You understand. And so, you know, it just it, it, you know, you, you can't believe your own press. Let the Lord promote you. Here's another way of looking at this. Jesus said, I've come into the world to, to serve, not to be served. And that was a teaching for us as well. We're to be servants. And we go on, we have studies about being servants and bond slaves, you know, that do our master's bidding. Then I'm in my house or I'm at my school or I'm at work. I'm, I'm in these places where God has put me to affect the world. And lo and behold, minute by minute, day by day, people are treating me like I'm some slave, like I'm some doormat slave. I don't deserve that. I'm a better person than that. Haven't you read my resume? And, and, and a lot, I think 90% of the complaints I have and I hear from people are, I'm being treated poorly at home. I'm being treated poorly in the church. I'm being treated poorly at work. And sometimes, you, you know... Okay, are you a servant? Yes. Are you being treated the way a servant might be treated? Yes. Oh, rejoice. Man, that's great. Where is the person who comes home and his wife says, how was it today, honey? Fantastic. I was treated so poorly because I'm a Christian. And there's another Christian guy and he wasn't treated as poorly as I was. So I'm a better Christian than he is. You know, I mean, we have to have a whole new mindset about what it means to be a Christian in these last days. I made a lifetime out of telling my children life is not fair. 
but I always want things to be fair for me. And when things are not fair for me, oh man, I'm all over it. I'm, I'm watching my neighbor, you know, that kind of a thing. And so we want to get back to this idea that let the Lord deal with things. Let the Lord promote you. If you're going to become famous on a small or a large scale, that's up to the Lord. And believe me, most people don't want the kind of scrutiny that comes with being promoted by the Lord anyway. It's not easy, and you certainly don't want the kind of suffering that comes along with it. So just leave all that to the Lord. I want to finish strong. Certainly that means to get to the very end, having faithfully discharged my calling and my ministry. But it means, really, I want to finish strong every day in every activity because it's the moments that make up that whole lifetime. You don't just coast and then towards the end say, okay, now I'm going to really put my heart into this thing. You finish strong by finishing strong every day. Children of Israel, every day they walked and walked and walked. And then the seventh day they finished really, really strong. Our life is going to be more than seven days, more than a week. But it's going to be a complete period of time in which we finish strong by doing what we're supposed to do along the way. Second, you're going to finish strong if you are moved with compassion. You remember Rahab from our previous study? God told the Israelites to destroy everyone. Rahab repented. Her family repented. When the walls fell, one part of the wall didn't fall. I, that's the most remarkable thing about this story to me. The walls fell down flat, but because her house was on the wall, it apparently didn't fall. How are we going to know Rahab's house? Well, there's a little scarlet thread. Well, with all the dust and... Oh, yeah, there it is. It's the one house that didn't fall. God does these amazing miracles. Her rescue from Jericho is in verses 22, 23, and 25. We read them. You're familiar with them. Let's just talk about them. The saving of Rahab and her placement in the camp of Israel shows that God is moved with compassion on the lost. People blame things on God. Natural disasters and personal tragedies. We mentioned that a moment ago. Where was God, they ask, indicating his action or inaction is the real problem. God was in heaven watching his own son die on the cross for our sins so that he might redeem lost men and women and children from perishing. That's where God was. He was sending his own son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Adam and Eve messed things up for all of us, representing all of us. You would have done worse. It wouldn't have taken me as, as long. I would have ate the fruit myself without Eve's help. You know, I mean, it just whatever. Uh, so, you know, people who think it's unfair that Adam and Eve, this super intelligent, amazing creature that God had just created, oh, I would have done a better job. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. And so, you know, I, I mean, none of it's God. So God immediately said, OK, yeah, you blew it. So I'm going to come. I'm going to die for you. And so that's always where God is. That's his vantage point in the universe. When every tragedy befalls you or the world, where is God? He's watching his son die because man brought that tragedy upon himself. He brought it down to your level. And if you trust Christ, you can live forever and live beyond that tragedy. And that's what we're talking about. One of the most important things we can have that will help us to finish strong is compassion upon the lost. Whether they are near or national or international, we are to care about everyone who does not know our Jesus. 
They don't know it, but non-believers are living in a Jericho that is on borrowed time. God is coming in judgment and it will be awful and terrible and will end in eternal punishment and pain for those who reject Jesus Christ. We should therefore adopt the compassion of the Lord. When dying on the cross, he prayed for those who were killing him and mocking him. Okay, so I'm not Jesus, but I am a potential Stephen, the first martyr of the church, in the sense that I too have the Holy Spirit indwelling me. There's nothing special about Stephen. He too prayed for his killers even as they were murdering him by stoning him to death. There are many Rahabs out in the world of whosoever will believe. Moved with compassion, we're more likely to find them. Moved with compassion, we're more likely to find them. We need to look upon others the way God looks upon them and then act out God's compassion towards them. Now, I'm not saying it's a fair assessment or even an accurate assessment because the media paints us in such broad, ignorant strokes. But I would say, generally speaking, uh, Christians have a reputation, at least over the last decade, of lacking compassion, of having a serious lack of compassion. Some of it is unjustified, but some of it may be justified. I'm not saying we should care about our reputation even. I'm saying that we should have compassion upon people. When a major disaster occurs, there's always Christians, some of them solid Christian leaders who we respect, whose immediate reaction is, that's the judgment of God upon a wicked people. They deserve that. And then there's always Christians who say, what a terrible tragedy that is. There are people who are hurting. There are people who need help. Why don't we go help them? Why don't we try and heal them in their land? Why don't we use our resources? Why don't we show them the love of Jesus Christ? Maybe some of them will get saved. Maybe they'll see it as a, as a small example of what Jesus would really do were he here today. But we want to be in that camp all the time, all the time. The last 10 years again that I've been a Christian, it seems like there's always one particular group within the culture that Christians really almost hate. They talk about them, they belittle them, they put them down, they joke about them. I guess we never think anybody from a particular group like that would come to our church and maybe hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. Are they sinners? Sure. Are they worse sinners than you and I? Not at all. Is there worse sin? Well, some of the consequences of sin are worse than others. Some of the things that sin does are worse than others. Sure. But we want to be known as a people of compassion, not of compromise. We established that we're not going to compromise what we believe. But why get sidetracked on these secondary issues when the real issue in a person's life is, do you know Jesus Christ as your savior? Because guess what? When you do. These things that characterize your life now that are sinful and abominable, you'll have power over them. You'll repent of them. You won't do them anymore. You're not in a position where you can't not do them, but you're close. But with Christ and the indwelling spirit, you can be changed forever 
to walk with the Lord. And so we just want to make sure that we're in that group of Christians. We're, we're that group. When people think of you or our church or the church in Kings County, hey, that's a compassionate place. I went there hurting. My life was falling apart. You can't believe the sin I was involved with. And all they did was say to me, go and sin no more. That no man was accusing me. And that I was right with God because of what Jesus Christ had done on the cross. And now, man, my life is great. God has turned my upside down life right side up. What a joy that would be. And regardless of the reputation, that's where you and I want to live. Finish strong. Don't compromise along the way. But do let compassion be your rule of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the fall of Jericho. Though it was a physical thing, and we don't really wrestle against physical things, we wrestle against spiritual things, supernatural things, we can see how that helps us, Lord, in our day-to-day struggle. And Lord, there's really nothing more to say than help us to be a people without compromise who desire to and actually do finish strong and a people of deep compassion a people who, if we thought about it enough, would weep over our city the way you wept over Jerusalem, seeing the destruction that was coming and the rejection of those people. Whether we shed actual tears or just tears in our spirit, Lord, I pray that our focus would be outward. We would come here to be equipped and that having been equipped, Lord, we would go out into the world you've sent us into whether we're treated nicely or poorly, rightly or wrongly, whether we abound or are abased, that we would have a countenance that speaks of your grace, that offers your mercy, because the time is short. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's stand together. All right. Um, just so much going on. It's, uh, it's really incredible what the Lord is doing. A lot of our focus right now has been on getting the Lemoore outreach off the ground. And so I'll talk to you about that for just a minute as we close. Even if you have no intention, no plan in a million years of coming on a regular basis on Sunday nights, come next Sunday night. What else do you have to do? There's nothing going on. Tampa Bay Rays are in first place. Who really cares about that? I mean, you know, so Sunday night baseball, you know, tape it. But anyway, uh, come on out. Just join us. Be an encouragement one to another. Just a time of worship. uh, And we'll see what the Lord wants to do with that. In the meantime, we'll be here Wednesday morning. The men having their uh, devotional time, uh, 6.30 in the cafe. Coffee's free. Did I mention the coffee was free on Wednesday mornings? Now you'll come. Or at least, and your wife is saying, how come you don't bring coffee home to me? But uh, anyway, uh, Wednesday night, we have our Ignite service uh, going through the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow, uh, that's been a blast. If you can't come, you should follow online. Uh, we have all the studies, uh, the text of them and the MP3 so that you can follow along with that. Uh, again, next Saturday morning, we'll be passing out the door hangers. Grab some invites, take them where you work. Put them out so that people can see what we're doing and and, uh, use it. You know, all of this is a tool. These big crusades, Billy Graham, Greg Laurie, they all say the same thing. People get saved because their friends talk to them about Jesus. They invite them to something and then they come and they get saved. 
Uh, and, and so take an invitation, leave it out. Maybe somebody will grab it, give it to somebody, say, our, our church is starting a work here in Lemoore. You might want to check that out. It's a tool so that you can have a soft evangelism with people. I mean, it's hard, you know. I mean, you don't really want to just walk up to somebody and say, oh, hey, by the way, do you know Jesus Christ? Because if you don't, you're going to go to hell. I mean, that's a tough one. Some of you have that gift. I can tell because you, you come back bruised at the end of the day, you know, and stuff. But a lot of you, and, and so this is the thing. Hey, hey, look at it. Our church is starting a work over in Lemoore. Do you, you know, if you don't go to church, any, hey, you might want to check this out, you know. And, and maybe it opens up a door to talk. Maybe it doesn't. You'd be surprised what the Lord would do with those kinds of things. So make a commitment to pray about what we're doing there uh, and make some, uh, pass out some invitations and whatnot. Help us with the door hangers. And then just keep praying. We want to be a praying people that loves the lost and makes a difference because of it. Thanks. God bless.